I don't have it on. But you guys could hear me, right? And I was really, yeah, it's not that broken. You know, it's not that broken. Thank you. I thought I was, I thought I was on the speaker. It's crazy. Um, so anyways, the agreement of the Holy Spirit here, because you were quoting from Revelation, right? And you're talking about this vision that's in the throne room of God and, and all these creatures and this tremendous sea of glass and lightning and thunder and all the beautiful aspects around the throne, these amazing creatures that we can't even imagine that are circling around the throne and all that is going on in heaven. And then suddenly that's chapter four in, verse, or in Revelation. And in chapter five, we see something different happens. And suddenly in the hand of God, there's a scroll, and there's, there's, there's a request put out to every living creature that's ever lived for all time to say, who's worthy to open up the scroll? Who's worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it up? And for about a space of a half hour in heaven, there's total silence. Nobody steps up. Peter didn't step up. Lucifer didn't step up. None of your heroes stepped up. Nobody that you've ever known in all history, all the religious leaders, none of them stepped up. And you can go through the list in your own mind. No one stepped up. But then, and, and as a result of it, the apostle Paul, or John, begins to weep. He just cries and cries and cries because nobody's worthy. And then one of the elders who was around the throne walks up and says to him, don't cry, don't weep. He says, the root of Jesse, um, the line of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy. He is worthy. And then in the midst of the throne, we see a lamb as though it's been slain. And we know that the one that this is talking about is Jesus. That it's Jesus in the midst of the throne. And you think about how glory, the glory in that aspect but then even goes further to say that millions and millions of angels, hundreds of millions of angels surround him. And then all these creatures and all these elders that are around the throne, and then every creature that's ever lived, those who are on the earth, those who are above the earth and heaven, and those who are beneath the earth. So every soul, living, dead, everywhere, wherever it is, all bows down and worships Jesus. And they say, you're worthy, you're worthy. So we start at a place in this message, and it's so important when we talk about letting go of wrongs. We have to start at a place of why. What's the why? Why do I let go of wrongs? Why is there this request to let go of wrongs? And the lamb was slain, right? The lamb who was slain, and Austin led to that, that Jesus, and we sang that tremendous song, that it's, it's Jesus who died for our sins, and the key is, is that he's worthy. He is worthy. Think about that. Just think about this unbelievably powerful being. No one like him. No one else like him anywhere. And he gave his life for you. But the key is here is he didn't just give his life for you, did he? Who else did he give his life for? No, I mean, you could answer. Who else did he give his life for? Yeah, what, what does the scripture tell us? The whole world, right? He died not only for our sins, 
but the sins of the whole world. That is that he died for our sins in the sense that we believe and we're in agreement with God, right? So we, hopefully, and that's kind of what this is going to be about, about getting into agreement with God. First of all, first agreement point that we got to start from is Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. And second agreement point is, is that <clears throat> Jesus died for our sins, but not just our own sins, but the sins for the whole world. That is those who believe and those who don't. The difference between those who believe and those who don't are those who believe are in agreement with God. They're in agreement. The scripture says uh, in Romans that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That because he was in agreement with God, God said, you know, look at Abraham. I know, and I'll tell you what, Abraham's this hero of faith. If you don't know who he is, he's sort of the founder of faith. He's sort of the guy that, that heard God's voice and followed him and obeyed him. And then later on, we know he offered up his son, but God spared his son. But that was a, a picture of who Jesus Christ is, that Jesus was going to be sacrificed. But, but Abraham didn't have to do that. But because Abraham was willing to do that and willing to follow God, we refer to him as the father of faith. But you know what? Abraham made all sorts of mistakes through his life. He slept with his handmaid, another woman that he had another child by that created a lot of conflict within their family. He lied to various people to try and save his own life and said that his wife Sarah wasn't his wife and let his wife go off with another man to protect himself because he was afraid. So Abraham wasn't some superhero that didn't have doubts and struggle like we all do. We all have doubts and struggle, but he was in agreement and he got in agreement with God about who um, he is, right? And that agreement, God credited him as righteousness. He does the same thing for us. So when we believe in what Jesus has done for us, God credits righteousness to us and it's free. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn that freedom that God gives us. And so when we talk about love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, why doesn't love keep a record of wrongs? Why doesn't it keep a record of wrongs? Anybody? I mean, you're, you're free. Anybody want to chime in? No, that's too little, little shaky here. I'm, a, I'm normally in a Bible study setting, so I usually get some feedback. But why? The reason why is because Jesus is worthy, right? And he's paid for it. There's no debt any longer in these record of wrongs. If he forgave you the record of wrongs for you, and you're glad to receive that, doesn't that free you up then to forgive the record of wrongs for someone else? So when we think about record of wrongs, right? Uh, we get into record of wrongs, right? When we get into the whole idea of record of wrongs, there's like little things and big things. There's, there's little parts and big parts. There's people who are struggling with wrongs against them that involve abuse, and they've been carrying that for years and years and years and years. And they don't want to let it go. And they don't want to let it go because the hurt and the pain that's there. And also, there seems like there should be some payment. Doesn't it seem like there should be some payment? Shouldn't somebody have to pay for that? 
And that's really where this sacrifice idea of Christ comes into play. We're going to get into this a little bit more as we go into the Lord's table, and I hope I'm going to bring this together in a way that makes sense. That Jesus paid for it. He paid not only for your sins, but also for the sins of the world. And when we recognize that Jesus is worthy, that he's worthy, the payment's sufficient. And in that, we find a freedom, a freedom to let go. So let me open up the scripture and read, and I'm going to start here. Um, If you don't have your Bibles or you do have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 61 with me. And I'm going to give you some interesting things and how this is all going to tie together. I guess we'll see here in the end, hopefully so. Isaiah 61 says, I'll give you a second to get there. At verse 1, start at verse 1. Are you there? Okay. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God to to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And a result of this ministry that goes forth, and the effectiveness of this ministry that goes forth is found in the following verses. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated, and they will renew, or they will renew, yes, the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. that interesting verse that you'll see, you might remember Jesus quotes it himself uh, when he's speaking in his own hometown and people didn't like it. They really didn't like that he called himself that because he referred to this because this is is Messiah's ministry. Well, the interesting thing about it being Messiah's ministry is because we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, it becomes our ministry. This, This is... This is your ministry. It's not, it's not Pastor Chris's ministry. It's not my ministry alone. It's the body of Christ's ministry. And all of you are engaged in all parts of this. This is all important. But look at, look at who's equal to this task, right? You're going to free prisoners. You're going to get those who are in gloom and darkness, and you're going to free them. You're going to preach this. You're going to, all those who mourn, you're going to be able to comfort Isn't that a wonderful ministry? And then later on, you're going to rebuild these cities that have long been devastated. Do we have have any devastated cities, right, that have been in ruins for decades? Why are they in ruins? Because we don't agree with God anymore. We're not in agreement. You know, it's interesting that, you know, and I know some get off a little bit on a tangent, you know, uh, some people are very interested in times ministry, and it's very exciting for them, and they like that. And it's sort of like, you know, if things get worse, that's kind of better because it means we're closer. Well, you know what? The Lord's got a time, and he's going to come back when he's going to come back. But you know what? I'm telling you right now, 
If you get in agreement with God, everything turns around. Nations can come to Jesus Christ, not just people. The apostles were called out, the disciples were called out, and the followers of the disciples were called out to go and baptize nations in the name of Jesus Christ. Nations. Could you imagine what the world would look like if it got in agreement with God? If we got behind what God's doing, can you imagine the justice? That there would be justice. Can you imagine? In his name, I love the Christmas song, in his name, all oppression ceases. The gospel's for every person, all tongues, all nations, all languages, people from every tribe. There's no discrimination. There's no discrimination in that. It's for everyone, right? If we could get into agreement, and it's simple. It's really very simple. We just have to agree. We really just have to agree with God. And so this ministry here, which sounds so far beyond you, and you hear this and you think this is for somebody else. And I really say this because he gave me such a great lead in and such a big task that somebody's life is really, people's lives are going to be, you know what, this is, this is it, right? This is it. Somebody here is hearing these words, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me. And they're receiving that, and they're getting into agreement with God. Somebody maybe on Facebook is hearing that, and they're like, man, there's something about that. There's something. God's speaking to me. God's speaking to me. And, you know, I pointed out in the beginning about how great Jesus is and how worthy he is because, you see, if he says it's so, it's so. It doesn't depend on you. If the sovereign Lord has anointed you, you're anointed, right? It's what he says that counts. And when we get in agreement with that, then the spirit begins to flow in us, and God does wonders and miracles, and people are freed, and people are healed, and people are saved. Nations Turn around. Nations turn around. There's still hope for this nation in Jesus' name. And you know, I say Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name. Understand, that's not abracadabra, right? That's authority. It's God's word. When God says that Jesus is worthy, when we say Jesus' name, we are speaking in the name that is the most powerful name Ever. No one else is worthy. No one else is worthy. So we speak in authority because he sent us out to speak. Because he sent us to speak. Not because I sent me to speak. I'm not up to this task. I can't do this. <laughs> it's laughable that I could do this. But the scripture's in agreement. Old Testament, <clears throat> written 750 years before Jesus was born, talks about Jesus' ministry, goes on. I love the book of Isaiah. That's the, tells us all about Messiah. It says, Messiah, chapter 9, it says, For unto us a child is given, 
Unto us a son is born, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the government will rest on his, his shoulders. The government doesn't rest on your shoulders. It rests on his shoulders. And there'll be no end to his kingdom. And the New Testament are, in Acts is agreement, right? It just is an agreement. It's an interpretation of the Old Testament. And this idea of anointing goes, and, and, and it, right in the very beginning of Acts, as the apostles are sent out after the resurrection of Jesus, he says to them, he says to them in, in, in Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn over there with me, Acts chapter 1, and I'm looking at verse 6. I might have to put my glasses on for this, get some small things. Verse 6. Um, so the apostles are there. Jesus appears to them, and he tells them that there's going to be a gift from the Father, and he goes on and talks about it a little bit. And he says that you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And then in verse 6, they ask him, well, are you going to restore the kingdom? You know, they're worried about the kingdom, and they're worried about the kingdom coming. But you know what? Jesus has a ministry for them, right? They want to, I want to, I want out of here. This place is kind of tough. I want out of here. I want the kingdom restored. I want to see those streets of gold. I want to see those beautiful buildings. I don't want to be in conflict. I don't want to have to deal with hunger. I don't want to have to deal with sickness. I don't want any of that kind of stuff. But Jesus has something more important for them to do because he has more people that he's calling. There's more people that he wants to bring into the kingdom. So he says to them, no, that's not for you to know. Don't worry about that. And I'm telling you guys right now, I love end time stuff. I love all that. We look around and we see all this. I'm, I'm just telling you, get engaged in what's happening now. Right now, we need you engaged to change the world. That's your mission. Your mission and calling is to change the world. So he says to them, Jesus' response is, it's not for you to know. It's none of your business, okay? Your business is different. What I want you to do, he says here, he says here, those times are not for you to know. The Father has set them for his own, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, <clears throat> in, in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It agrees with Isaiah 61. That's your calling. You just wait. To be empowered by God. What does wait to be empowered by? Do we sit in a chair forever and wait to be empowered by God? It means, well, we could pray and we could talk about receiving the Holy Spirit, but how many songs have you heard about Spirit come? You know, and I, I, I like that, you know, I'm not saying you know, Spirit come. And we keep, the church keeps repeating that phrase, keeps talking about it and talking about it, talking about it. We're all at 1120. Um, He's talking about it, but we already have it, right? We already have the Spirit. We receive Christ. God's Spirit dwells in us. The Scripture says that He sends His Spirit without limit. He doesn't give. He doesn't give Austin 
his spirit and then just give you a little more portion and you get a portion and you get a portion. God says he gives his spirit without limit. Without limit. He gives it to us. And that's what he wants us to walk in is the power of the mind. But it's an agreement. It's not a begging. It's an agreeing that God has given us something that we already have. And we already walk in the anointing that God's given us. And so, and this is the scary part, we have to step out in faith. We have to take a step. We have to step into the Spirit. And the Spirit's speaking to you, and you're walking through Kroger, and you see somebody in need, and you reach out to them and say, can I pray for you? And God works a miracle. And you can make a connection. And maybe a life is saved, a soul is saved. Maybe something different. Maybe they were depressed and on their way home to commit suicide. You don't know. But God, that's how God works. Jesus' miracles weren't done in church. They were done in the street. They were done in the marketplace. They were done while he was walking along the road. That's where our calling is, and that's what changes things. So how does this relate to back to this record of wrongs? Your ministry is too big. Your purpose is too great. Your mission, too important to hold on to wrongs that prevent you from receiving the fullness of God's spirit. That just prevents you. It just crushes you down. The price for that sin, if you will let it, the price for the offense that's been committed against you, big or small, big or small, it's been completely covered by somebody who's worthy. I want to read one more verse to you before we end, and I'm really going to go into the Lord's table. But if you will, turn with me to Mark chapter 22. I'm sorry, Mark 11, 22. Get that right? Okay. Okay. So let me just tee this up a little bit. Jesus had just gone as he was passing through and he came up to a fig tree and he cursed the fig tree. You guys might know the story. And as a result, they came back a day later and the fig tree had withered away. And the apostles were amazed at that. And um, they were amazed that that happened and they asked Jesus about it. And, and Jesus responds to them. He says in verse 22, he says, have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourselves into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he has said will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand, and interestingly enough, he adds this to it, right? Because we all like the first part, right? Don't we all want to see this power of God? And this is a theme, by the way. I'm not grabbing a verse in this and pulling it out of context. 
If you go and you read John 14, 15, and 16, you'll see over again, over and over again, Jesus making these same promises that whatever you ask in prayer, and you'll say to me, well, you know, I've gone through this and I struggle with this. I don't see this all the time. Well, some of that is you don't see it because you want it to happen the way you want it to happen. And God has a little bit of a different way. And God also has timing. But God never forgets your prayer. He never forgets that. And he's not, it's not like he's not working on it. But again, it goes back to, I've got to get into agreement with God. And when I get into agreement with God and I let him do it his way, then I begin to see God work in miraculous ways. And we begin to see the power of God move. But in this case, Jesus adds a little stipulation to this. And I think this is the thing that bottlenecks us up so much from seeing the power of God work and really from us taking uh, these steps. It goes back to what we talked about in Corinthians, that love keeps no record of wrongs. It says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins, right? If you hold anything. You know, I started praying about this about four weeks ago. And uh, no, actually, it's longer than four weeks ago, I think. Chris asked me to speak, and I said, man, I've been relating these two verses. This love keeps no record of wrongs, and it keeps going back to this, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. And it's connected to this power of God. And I, and I prayed about it. I said, how is this connected? How is this connected? When you keep a record of wrongs, you're saying that Jesus isn't worthy. You just said Jesus isn't worthy. You're saying that his death wasn't sufficient for the offense that I received. It's not good enough. You're not honoring the son. When you do that, you're not in agreement with God. God is saying that Jesus, God, the Father is saying that the death that Jesus died on the cross was sufficient not only for your sins, all sin for all time, for every person who's ever lived. But you're saying he's not worthy and we don't forgive. So we have to get in agreement. If we want to see the power of God, we have to get in agreement with God and say Jesus is worthy. And I think, you know, Hopefully for some of you, this is, this is like, man, I got, because I went back and I said, you know, there's some big things that I've worked through in my life that I had to forgive people for. And, but I started thinking about this record of wrongs and this right here, if you hold anything, the Old Testament says ought. It uses the word ought. If you hold ought against your brother, right? If you hold ought against anyone, ought. Have you ever... Thought to yourself, guys, maybe do this more than women. Something comes up, it's the middle of the day, you're not even, and you'll remember an offense that happened 25 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago, and you'll say, I ought to, you know, I ought to, I ought to, and just kind of run that through your mind and you think about the humiliation of somebody who offended you. This might not even be something big. It might be somebody who picked on you at the playground and you're holding ought. You're holding ought. And God's saying that ought, that little thing, as well as the big thing, it's bogging you down. You're not receiving my power and you're not moving forward because you're holding on to ought. 
You're holding on to this thing, and he's saying, man, if you let go and you get in agreement with me, I have this work for you to do, and it's so great, and it's so powerful, and it's more important than heaven. Heaven will wait. We'll get there, and it's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be great. But the ministry that God wants you to enter into with him right now, he wants you to change. He wants you to change the world. He's calling you right now. And there's people here I know that are hearing me. He's saying, I want you to change the world, but don't worry, you're not gonna do it on your own. I've anointed you. I've anointed you to go forward and do this and empower you.